Welcome along to The Loftcast. I'm Paul Morrissey from the club's media team and I'm joined today by club ambassador Andy Sinton as we reflect on a pulsating five-goal thriller against Brentford last weekend which resulted in our first win over the Bees in some two and a half years. With no game to preview this weekend, we've decided to take The Loftcast on the road. We've made the short trip to Wickham Wanderers training ground so we can catch up with this man. That's a nice turn by Paul Rollins into Ainsworth. Ainsworth gets it, Ainsworth gives the score, Ainsworth, Ainsworth scores it, 4 0. What a fantastic goal by Gareth Ainsworth. Strums the guitar, Paul Furlong joins in, they've got our little band down there, and the band is playing the song that says Rangers for Blackpool 0. Thanks for joining us, this is the Lovecast. Well, since looking back on the game against Brentford, what a game it was, incredible. Yeah, it was a fantastic game, you know. Um, great advert for the championship. Two good teams, I felt, going, you know, hammering tongs at each other. And from a QPR's perspective, the best thing about it was, was uh, we won the game. You know, uh, the last two or three years, our performances and results against Brentford have been pretty lame. But uh, not Saturday. It was excellent and uh, a great three points. What did you make of the first half? We're obviously 1-0 down at half-time to Neil Malpay's goal. I thought it was nip and tuck, you know, we, um, they looked probably a little bit better in possession, you know, building through the thirds, always got the, the threat with their front three with their pace, but we had a, we had a couple of half chances, you know, Naki flashes one across the, the face of the goal, uh, Jeff Cameron's screamer just goes inches wide, Lynch is a little bit unlucky with um, the free kick that he gets on the end of, but uh, I thought we were a little bit unfortunate to go one one. Uh, one day, you know, um, Ben Rama does quite well. He hits a shot, dips just in front of Joe. He makes a he makes a decent save, but he's probably a little bit disappointed he doesn't get it out to the side. But Maupay, you can see why he's top scorer in the league. You know, he's onto it in a flash, and he's still got a hell of a lot to do to finish it. And he did so. Um, but yes, once that went in, our response was good. But we go in at one nil down. I was asked at half time. Uh, co-commentator said what did we need to do I, I felt we needed more from our front four um, we needed more service to them we needed more from them individually we needed the, to ask Brentford to defend uh, a lot lot more and uh, I'm sure we're going to come to it boy did we do that in the second half well we certainly did and they, they say about um, good managers are the ones that stay calm and keep cool heads and Steve McLaren said afterwards at half time he said keep doing what you're doing I'm happy with what I'm seeing and he felt confident that just by doing nothing, it would pro- produce the, the result that, that we needed. And I, I'd imagine, as a manager, sometimes doing nothing can be the hardest thing when you're trailing. Just having belief, as he says, in the process. Yeah, having belief in your process, having belief in your players, having a belief that, you know, in any game, you're going to have a spell. Um, so, yeah, stay nice and calm. As I say, I think we just got higher up the pitch. I think there was probably a... A big shift in terms of can we win the ball back higher up the pitch, and certainly in the uh, in the Brentford half. But the the first goal for me was the turning point of the whole game. Uh, our first goal getting back on a level peg. Yeah, we'll talk us through that. It was a, an incredible start to the second half. Three goals in ten minutes. Mas Luongo's first, then Joel Lynch, and then Naki Wells. Luongo looked so calm as he nonchalantly tapped that across the line. But it was a, a, a big goal to get us back on level terms so early in that second half. 
Yeah, it was a well-crafted goal, I think, uh, down that right-hand side. Luke Freeman does ever so well, you know, a couple of times. I think he fires it, comes back off the post, he fires it across again. Um, we get a little bit of a luck, a ricochet, but it falls to mass five, six yards there. But he, it's almost having a kick around in the playground, just side-foots it into the goal, you know. But from that moment... And, uh, sorry to interject there. You're saying, like, we got a bit of luck, and we did with the, with the way it deflected into Mass's path. But having a midfielder, bombing on and been in the six-yard box is a, a, almost a creating-your-own-luck scenario. Well, it comes back to my point. We had a bit of luck, but exactly what I've just said a couple of minutes ago, we're asking Brentford to defend by putting balls into areas, by getting in behind them, not playing in front of them. And you know what? That, that 10 minute spell, well, we blew them away. We asked them to defend, and I'm not sounding like I know it after they, they, they couldn't for that period of time. Ultimately, that won us the game. And uh, the... The one that put us 2-1 to the good, Joel Lynch's finish from Tony Lyson's header after Luke Freeman's free kick. Uh, and it was, a, again, a good finish from Joel Lynch. He, he just uh, casually <laughs> tapped it across the line. Well, again, you know, free kicks, um, corners, set plays, all about delivery. Luke Freeman's on it. You know, he's, we know the quality he's got. And you, you're just asking him in that situation to pull it into an area, give us a chance. He does that. Tony Lyson, you shows great determination desire to get that first header doesn't quite get it on target but you know Lynch is the the first man once it goes over Lynch it, Tony Lynch has continued his run and it bounces in front of him I think Luke Freeman and um, Naki's just behind him sorry but uh Joel's he's still got a little bit yeah, to do but yeah. again very very calm just cipher and wheels away no massive celebration as if to say do this yeah. every day yeah uh, and then I think the biggest roar from all three goals um, it wasn't the equaliser, it wasn't the second, it was the third because suddenly you just felt, uh, and eventually so it proved, but that's the game won there. Naki Wells putting us 3-1 up and it was a great finish and special credit to Pavel Showek who won possession and he's bombed down the right. A brilliant ball in as well for Naki Wells because he's got, he's got to get between two Brentford um, defenders at pace into the feet of Wells and then Wells does brilliantly. Well, you're, you're right about the roar around, or the majority of the roar around Loftus Road, you know, it was definite. Yeah. Uh, uh, biggest roar for me as well on commentary, you know, it was that two minutes after Lynch, we almost felt that we haven't won the game, but we're, we're, we've, gone a, mm. we've gone a huge way to doing so, you know. But Pav, you know, I think he wins it on the halfway line. Uh, he's a ball carrier, he travels 30 yards. And something, I don't mind saying, I've been a little bit critical of Pav as a former wide player, sometimes that went across and hacked across and area of the 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 box to put balls into he does that fantastically again he has the Brentford centre-half to defend Naki's on hand and again Naki Wills does really 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 calm fires into the bottom corner and I, I, I swear from where I was Loftus Road erupted <laughs> um, and a special mention too of um, Luke Freeman he he didn't get on the score sheet but He's pulled the ball back that eventually fell for Luongo. His free kick, which led to Lynch's goal via Tony Leisner. So he wouldn't get any assists for any of these goals, but he was critical to that performance. I thought Luke uh, epitomises everything about us in the second half. You know, um, big player for us. You know, he's got his, got his quality. Sensed in the first half, he was probably just getting a little bit frustrated with the, the way they, what was happening in the random. Brentford dovetailed really well to snuff him out. Our front four didn't really get a lot of joy but Luke as I say as well as all the team second half was absolutely outstanding and as I say he's got quality we've seen that time and time again and we saw it again Saturday 
You mentioned that Joe Lumley might have been disappointed he didn't do more with the uh, Brentford's first goal in terms of pushing the initial effort wide. But one thing that Joe Lumley does seem to appear to have, if there is a, a an error or he feels there's an itu- a situation where he could have perhaps done better, he's got that really important ability as a goalkeeper to get it out of his mind and think about the, the next thing he needs to do. And he pulled off such an important save from Ben Rama. We were 3-1 up, half an hour to go. It was low to his left and it was an excellent save. And it's almost forgotten about because we win 3-2 and it, it isn't seen as a big moment. But I'll tell you what, if Brentford had made it 3-2 with half an hour to go, it could have been a very different story. Yeah, Joe, Joe's been excellent. You know, he's, uh, he's took his chance really well. He's, he's calm, he's composed. Um, and as I say, he possibly could have done better with the with with the goal in the first half. Dips just in front of him, but you haven't mentioned, and a lot of people haven't mentioned as well. He also made a good save at one one. Uh, he made a good save at one one, but he save at three one mm. is an outstanding save because it's really you know what's Joe six foot five, six foot six. It's right at his feet. So yeah. to get down so quickly, but actually to make it stick as well was um, was fantastic. So he deserves over the last few months a hell of a lot of credit. Uh, and Henrik Dalsgaard. Pull one back with 10 minutes to go. QBR had to show another side to to their their style, their character, their ability, their strength, and that was to to see the game out. And we did really do that without too many concerns. Yeah, another side to the game. You know, we 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 blew them away for. But how many times in years gone by would you think, oh, we're not going to hang on here for 10 minutes? But there's just this growing confidence. Well, there's a confidence in the team. There's that uh, solidness about the group. You know, we're we're defending from the front, and you know, credit to Steve. Um, you know, he's 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 put Narky off and cemented the midfield with an extra body and saying, you know what. I know what's going to happen here for the next six or seven minutes, so mm. you're going to have to find something special to break us down. A couple of corners late on, you know, you've got your heart in your mouth, but we dealt with them. And defensively, I think that's been, well, there's been so much improvement since the first few games of the season, but defensively, we look like we want to die for the cause of that makes sense, you know, put our bodies on the line. And we had to do that in the last few minutes and uh, got the victory I think we deserved. And just a, a word on the at the end of the game that players walking around the pitch afterwards and the the fans were applauding them, but the players weren't doing it for the applause. They were doing it to show their appreciation to the fans. And Steve McLaren said recently that's something that he's keen to see, win, lose or draw. He said whether the fans choose to stay or not, he he's keen for his players to, to do that lap of appreciation, not just at the end of the season, but after every game at Loftus Road to, to show their appreciation to the supporters. I think it's fantastic, win, lose, or draw. I think football over recent years has been criticised and probably quite rightly so. There's been a you know a distancing from the playing element to the fans, but you know by doing that, you know appreciation for the fans, you know, because they were they were brilliant the other day. I think Steve said before the game we're going to have to win on and off the pitch. Well, we we, we did that, you know. So the, uh, the the players, yeah, they'll get pats on the back, but don't underestimate the role the fans have. Loftus Road, I've said. Time and time again, when they're with you and they've got something to latch onto, they're as good as anything. So that little lap of appreciation, I love to see. It's a public way of saying we're in this together, we're connected, and we need that to continue. 
Well, like you say, on and off the pitch, things are, seem to be going well at the moment. And there was a very special moment at Loftus Road on Saturday. Neil's guy and John Wilde finally getting to meet after 49 years. I'm sure many of you listening know the story. Neil's guy, a Vietnam veteran, put an advert in the QPR programme back in 1969, asking for a fellow QPR fan to keep him up to date with how the R's were getting on while he was in active service in Vietnam. And an 11-year-old by the name of John Wildside sending him programmes and match memorabilia. They never got to meet, um, but they recently reconnected online. And huge credit to Amit Batia. They'd never met in person. And the QPR chairman actually paid for Neil's guy to fly over um, from America, attend the game as his guest on Saturday, along with John Wilden, uh, John's wife, Sharon, and John and Neil's got to me and it was a, a special moment and, and great to see and the reaction of of Amit of the club showing how important it is to to almost acknowledge the incredible incredible act from John Wild towards Neil's. Well what a wonderful story, you know. Um I think everyone who heard about was very, very keen for the club to do something. Uh credit to Amit, uh, you know, for 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 getting uh, getting guy guy Neil's over, uh, credit you guys you know behind the scenes for for making it happen because I know and I know you won't say it that took weeks months of planning and to pull it all together on such a such a special day with what the day also were we were remembering a derby day uh, and to get the result it was just it was just brilliant so yeah a lovely 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 story and in many senses shows what QPR is all about. Absolutely, and also special mention to Bugler Trumpeteer Sergeant Warren Ringham, a QPR fan and a brilliant last post that was played just before kickoff. It was absolutely fantastic. He, it, it was just the atmosphere that was created by that was was exceptional. Oh, wonderful! Uh, you know, I spoke to I spoke to Warren prior to the game. Big QPR fan, and he actually said he was really, really nervous. I said, well, why are you nervous? You've done this many, many times. He said, well, I'm doing it for a club I support, but the significance of what I'm doing, I just want to get it right, and I just want to, you know, make it special. And, you know, it's such a such a moving salute, such a moving tribute, and he, he absolutely nailed it, you know. And, as I say, let's not forget what Saturday uh, was all about. You know, 100 years since the, uh, the armistice, all those millions of people who... And I've paid the ultimate sacrifice, so basically we can we can stand, sit, and do what we need to do today. You know, so uh, wonderful tribute, and those people who sadly lost their lives in all the wars never be forgotten. Absolutely, well said. Since okay, now looking ahead, as we as I said at the top of the show, as we haven't got a game to preview, we decided to take the Loftcast on the road, and we're now going to catch up in his office at Wickham's training ground with the QPR legend and Wickham boss. Gareth Ainsworth. Well, Gaz, thanks very much for joining us and hosting us here at Wickham's Training Ground. Uh, delighted to catch up with you. So, firstly, how's life going as the, the manager of Wickham? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not an easy job, football management, um, as, as, as people well know, but uh, on the other side of the coin, I'm sure many people would swap and, and like a go at football management, but... Uh, it isn't all uh, out on the football pitches, picking the 11s and, and tactics and then taking the plaudits on a Saturday. There's, there's, I wish it was. There's a heck of a lot more involved in that. Um, and it's, you know, the, I'd say in, in the management game, you learn 
every day. You know, you never stop learning. Um, and I've learned so much from that first season when uh, I took over from obviously Gary, Gary Waddock, um, who, who's a fantastic guy, fantastic manager still is. And, uh, and I had some tough times early on, but um, I think the state of the club um, was fortunate in, in my favour. They, they, they probably couldn't afford to sack me even if they wanted to, but um, I'd like to say in the last four or five years, uh, we've, uh, we've been on a steady curve up and culminating in promotion last year, which was fantastic. But um, learning every single day, and, uh, and that's, that's the important thing about football management, don't think you know it all. You touched on a little bit there, Gaz. How did you, how did Gareth Ainsworth uh, find, find that change from being a player to being a manager? What surprised you? What the challenges? Yeah. But really, that initial from from really, there to there, how did really difficult, Andy? Really difficult, you know. <clears throat> um, obviously, we, we were both players, and and, uh, and and as a player, I mean, you you're responsible for your own performance. You're responsible for you. Um, there is team orders and team ethics and teamwork, but um, ultimately, I remember some players coming off the pitch as long as they'd played well. It didn't matter how the team had done, you know. And that's, um, I'd like to say there's a few and far between now those players and, and, and it is a big team ethic here at Wickham Wanderers but me personally going from player to manager I wasn't ready if I'm being totally honest you know I don't think any player is when yeah. they first do it um, unless they've been on the courses and even even the coaching courses they'll give you the tactics they'll give you the the, the view of the game and, and, and maybe the FA's perfect way of playing the game but there's so much more that comes to football management than tactics as I just said you know yeah. the uh, the, the psychology of the game, the um, even even just I remember when I first took over, I was a tracksuit manager because I was still a player manager, so I had to have my kit on underneath, and uh, <laughs> and that looked so I had no option, you know. And I played a, a fair few games in the first couple of years, but the season we nearly went out of the league at Torquay was a real benchmark for me, a real learning curve for me. And on that 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 summer, I'd say that Gareth Ainsworth became the true manager of Wickham Wanderers. Say for for sixteen months. Honestly, I was I was a lucky man, and I was sort of picking the team and doing what I thought was right, but it wasn't. It was it was quite a way off what was right as a football manager, and and I'm glad to say surviving that Torquay game in that season uh, made me realise what I needed to do. And there's wholesale changes, not just my image, not just me being in the suit on the Saturday. And the boys calling me Gaffer instead of Gaz, the respect thing, which was always there, but uh, just just. It, they just needed a change at the club and recruitment that summer was huge as well and, and again one thing I say about football management you've got to get your recruitment right yep. that taught me that that summer um, so yeah the transition I'll, I'll say was very difficult and I think if you historically look at players who've gone into management it's been tough for them first couple of years you know and, and, and we see it still in the modern day um, the older managers the, the wiser managers they seem to get the better results and uh, and I'm hoping, I'm, I'm not too old or too wise yet, but I'm hoping I can get enough time to, to develop those. Uh, you're always learning, aren't you? And you you've said you, you yeah. know, you, you, that summer you, you did a lot of reflection on yourself and the yeah. way things needed to be done. Definitely. But um, as I say, it, it's a, it can be a very, very lonely <sighs> role, isn't it? Absolutely. Because uh, you win, lose, or draw on a Saturday, uh, fans disappear into the pubs, players disappear back home to the families. I know when I did it, that result, even if you've won sometimes, you're pouring across it all weekend, Paul. You, you, you're sitting, how can we get better? Yeah, what yeah. can we do differently? What's the travel arrangements like? And you, it can almost eat you up sometimes, can't it? Absolutely. And, and as you said there, travel arrangements, um, 
training ground, you know, um, the, the, your staff, your employees, somebody might have said something to somebody and they took it the wrong way. It all comes back on the manager. Everything comes back on the manager, not just the result on a Saturday, everything. Um, so, so yeah, it is, it is tough. And, and as you say, the, these coaching courses that obviously we've both been on, you, you're still a player, you're still with the lads, you're still, there's a bit of banter flying about on these coaching courses. Nobody prepares you for that loss on a Saturday when you have to come back in the office. Everyone looks at you and, and, and you feel it's your fault and that next day and that night and you don't even want to watch football. I don't even want to watch match of the day when I've lost the game. I'll tell you, no, I don't. I don't. You know, I'm, I was never a huge fan anyway, but I mean, no, no way. If football's on, you just want to turn it off. Um, but you can't. You've got to get back on it. You've got to... The good thing about this game is you've got a game coming up thick and fast and, and people will only remember your last game, you know, and, and your next one's a win. It's it's the opposite feeling, and uh, and you've got to control these emotions. You've got to stay as 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 flat as you can in the line, and not be too high and too low. And yep. John Still, excellent manager. You know, he told me he was my first game I ever played uh, as a manager for Wickham Wanderers. We we went to Dagenham. He was Dagenham manager. We got beat three 0 and we were poor that day. And uh, his words afterwards were always always ring with me and said, "Don't be too low today." and don't be too high when you win. He said, please try and stay as level as you can. And, and you take things from every manager you've had and John still is, uh, his words have stayed with me. I try and not get too high, too low and uh, and get over it pretty quick, you know, and that's, uh, that's important because he's going to inspire all these players that you need in the next week. <laughs> you've been manager here now for six years and 51 days. It makes you the second longest serving manager in the top four divisions. During that time, you've obviously recently achieved promotion you must be very proud of what you've achieved so far with Wickham when it is known that you operate on a very, very tight budget. I read about you having to buy goal nets ahead of one <laughs> pre-season because there weren't any goal nets and you're worried the PO wouldn't get signed off, so you got on eBay and bought them yourself. <laughs> so you must be very proud of, of what you've achieved with those constraints. I, I, absolutely, you know, and I'm not the only manager, I'm not saying I'm the only manager who ever done that. I'm sure that other managers put their hands in their pockets to get things. I know they have, I know they have. You know, So that was well documented and... I think got in the uh, the Mike Calvin book as well, which was great. But um, it, it you know it's uh, it is tough. It is tough with no money. I'd say recruitment is a large part of this game, um, and getting outbid by often non-league sides, side, never mind league sides. You know, who've got bigger budgets than Wickham Wanderers. It's tough sometimes, and so we have to go. Maybe not the the players that everyone fancies. That next tier where they're half fancy. Is he good enough? Or even the next two, where nobody knows about them, and we uh, and we pluck them out and 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 make them into Wickham Wanderers superstars, which which we've had in the past as well, which has been awesome. And they're some of the best moments when you when you turn some of these players that haven't made it, have been told they're not good enough. I was one of them once, but they, you turn them into something that um, that is good enough and, and and goes on. So it is it's it's tough here, but it's no tougher than than some of the other clubs. I look at Yeovils and I look at Exeters and Grimsby's and that's a life changer. You know, recruitment there. At least I'm near London. At least I've got that geographical advantage, you know, and people know where London is. Wickham's near London. We're down south. We're quite... So geographically, I probably have London to pull off and you go to Exeter, that's a life changer. Or Grimsby, that's a, that's an... So I have big respect for the other managers who may have a bit more money than me, but... How much do you need more to tempt someone to go and sign and live in Grimsby or Exeter or a big life change? So it, we all have our different problems. Mine has been financial, yet yeah. we, we're trust-owned. Um, trust-owned means the fans own the club. They, 
but we haven't got any benefactors in, in the fans. Mm -hmm. I'm not asking for them, I'm not, I don't expect them, but we haven't got that one person who I can go to and say, oh, I've got this, this player who's going to cost us £100,000, I, I, I turn him into a million pound player. It's just not there. It's not, it's not there. I understand it's not there. We run on we run on turnover, the budgets are set at the start of the season and, and we go from there. So there is constraints, but as I say, um, I know the constraints, so there's no surprises here and that's probably a it's probably a good thing as well that I know where I am, I know what I can spend and as you said, I'm very proud of of what we've achieved here and the promotion when really we had no right to in the financial stakes but we had every right to on the football stakes and it was a, it was an awesome day at Chesterfield away last year and you know, we, uh, we've set up some fantastic some fantastic opportunities in League One, no, no more so than this Saturday but I'm sure we'll come on to that, but it's uh, it's been great. It's been a real good ride, and uh, I say I can't thank the fans and the and the staff and and the players enough. They've been right with me, and that's been important. We'll talk about um, a trip down memory lane in just a moment, but firstly, the two two things that almost surprised me when I arrived at the training ground here today. One was seeing the beast on the punch bag in the gym and I thought well if anyone's going to come here and not give 100% they're a very brave man and the second walking up to the canteen and Matt Ingram's there you've got him on a, a seven day loan ahead of uh, Wickham's trip like you just referenced uh, Sunderland away this weekend so from your point of view I'd imagine well it's a horrible situation in terms of your goalkeeper issue that you've got your, your two goalkeepers both injured uh, for a period of time but getting Matt Ingram back uh, a player that you know very very well and know what he's capable of absolutely and going back to Andy's point about it can be a lonely place believe me we lost we lost uh, um, Ryan Olsup on Tuesday Eves Makalambe was already out with a broken hand um, so Tuesday evening was uh, was a stressful time shall I say we have no keeper going up to Sunderland away on Saturday the transfer window, in a row the transfer windows closed they, they, they've won eight in a row yeah um, so this emergency loan thing kicks in where you have to uh, prove to the FA that your your first team keepers are injured which we've done that allows you to get a seven day loan in but that's not as easy as it sounds mm. you know because I'm, I'm ringing teams up and thank goodness there's an international break this weekend because uh, I think that's aided in, in us being able to bring Matty here because obviously he's not going to be um, in the QPR squad they haven't got a game and can't thank um, the staff at, at QPR you know Steve I know has, has give the blessing on this Gavin Ward Les Ferdinand and Chris Ramsey you know, they've, they've been great with me in the past with players and uh, and almost uh, they were my uh, my saviours this week definitely <laughs> and believe me Wednesday morning was frantic on the phone um, and when, when when I spoke to Les and, and it all got sorted um, there was a huge huge relief because there was, a, there was I obviously had to have some uh, some backups in case Matt didn't come and uh, I couldn't get the backups, believe it or not. Uh, they, they were all playing. They were all, you know, the amount of people that had injuries, and then, and then you get these uh, these ones ringing up with no no experience at all, saying, "I'll play at Sunderland away." I'm, 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 so I'm not sure for me, you will, yeah. <laughs> but not for me. Um, you so, could play yeah, before. Then. I think I, I, I would have definitely got a volunteer. You know, I could have got someone to volunteer for that one. But to get somebody of Matt Ingram's calibre in, you know, yeah. somebody who knows the club, somebody's been here, I gave him his debut. Five years ago, maybe, and uh, and to see him walking, I actually think he's got a bit bigger, so that's great. Um, <laughs> but he, he's a fantastic character, level-headed, and he's had a, a stop-start career at QPR, you know, and I, and I feel for him because uh, sometimes uh, until the team starts performing well, they change a lot, and mm. and goalkeepers at that position where if you're in and it clicks, you're in and you're staying, and uh, and Matt's just been unfortunate on that, but he's a he's a superb keeper, and uh, and I'm sure he'll. he'll 
he'll have some uh, some good performances or definitely a good performance up at Sunderland for us on Saturday and, uh, and we'll see where we go from there but as I said QPR can't thank them enough and uh, I'm, uh, I'm glad that they were there for me in the uh, in the final hours there to get him in so <laughs> brilliant brilliant news do you miss playing Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, because it's the best thing in the world, you know. Um, I just saw you bending a couple in the top corner when I pulled <laughs> out the training you, Andy, Not as good as you, um, but uh, it was. Uh, I mean, yourself. I mean, we miss it so much, don't we? It's the best, the best years of your life, believe me. And when it goes, um, the, you can't replace it. You cannot replace running out on that pitch, being part of that team, with fans <coughs> singing your name in stadiums. That competition that you've got another. You've got a fullback against you. I'm competitive. He's trying to. He's trying to win the game. I'm trying to win the game. You know, and, and there's nothing better. That hair stand on the back of your neck sort of moments. Andy, you've had. You've had even better than me. You know, I'm plenty of Premier League games more than me, and uh, and and that sort of, especially at Loftus Road as well. You know, what a place that was to uh, to play in the day. It was. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, I still play Sunday League. It's it's not quite the same, but. Um, you know what? I still get the buzz. I still get the buzz of playing on a Sunday. I still. Do you have to pay subs? I do. Yeah, I play fiver. You know, so <laughs> and if I get booked, it's a tenner. So, <laughs> but, um, but no, I still play on Sunday. And you know what? It could be running down the right wing at Loftus Road or running down the right wing on Finch Hampstead Memorial Ground. It, it's doesn't it's the same feeling. It is the same feeling. All that's not there is the fans and the mm. crowd and the maybe after the game. But you're still in a team. You're with yeah. your mates. The banter. The the we laugh about the passes during the game or something mm. somebody's did or and and it never changes playing hold on to it as long as you possibly can I was lucky at 40 when I retired but um, it was uh, it was a brilliant brilliant career and I was so lucky worked my socks off as everyone knows but lucky as well to, to play as long as I did When you look back in your seven years at QPR what yeah. memories immediately are at the forefront of your thinking? Um, yeah Blackpool at home first game of the season when I signed and uh, and you know the the uh, the season we got promoted Hillsborough away. You know the last game of the season with with, uh, with that team that I believe was was a superb team. You know I think we we they'd they'd all their own now in the championship. I really do. You know mm. I think that we had a we had a superb year that year. Ollie brought this this bunch together. You know, Furlong, Gallon, myself, Rollins, Cook, Padula, Carlisle, City. You know wow. You know Palmer and all these pl- all these players that. I don't want to leave anyone out there, you know. Yeah. But, but it was a, it was a it was a fantastic period to be involved with the club, and because they'd just been through a real tough time, they went into administration, they dropped from the Premier League, they dropped again, and it needed rescuing, and uh, and Ollie rescued it that season. And that first game when I signed for QPR, a baking hot day, I remember, and uh, and getting two goals and and. <laughs> The air guitar celebration came out. That was the first time that ever came out, so that sort of stayed with me. And, and it was just, it was just something really special, you know. Um, I know I followed it up with some good goals, and the Rushton and the Diamonds mm. goals were, were also great moments in my career. One-off moments that I'll never repeat. And by the way, the amount of people that always come up to me now and say I was at Rushton, there must have been forty thousand there. They said because all the, it's always what QBR fans talk about. But I, I put Blackpool at home. As that moment when I had the I had the hoops on, it was at home. It was it was an unbelievable day. And even now, watching the footage back, um, you know the first goal is obviously an own goal, but I, I ran off claiming it, and that was my first goal. And then uh, and the second one was definitely mine. But um, what a day that was! And we'll set a marker down for that season. And uh, 
I just knew that I'd joined a big club and, and loved every single minute of that season. That achievement of winning promotion uh, when you first came to us from League One, do you look back on that now as a manager and almost it just proves to you the importance of having a, a team ethic? Yeah, and I, and I do think that um, recruitment was spot on that mm. summer. You know, I think it was the first season after they'd been relegated for the Premier League that they were able to bring in who they wanted to bring in. I think that it was tough the years before that, you know, and Andy played in some fantastic teams and great days, you know, but they just lost their way a little bit financially, you know, and, and, and it just became that, that season was, they just missed out. And, and obviously I was at Cardiff when they missed out. Yeah. I never played in the final, which in hindsight, I'm, I'm glad because um, QPR is the team I love. And, and, and that, was a, that was a tough season to take. They almost got there but they gave all of the backing to get right. Let's go for it again this season. And, uh, and I was really pleased to, uh, to join a great team. And, uh, and we proved it by the next season. I think we were I think top, top five or top three of the championship after seven games or something, you know? So it wasn't just a flash in the pan. It, wasn't, it was a good group of lads, good team. And uh, we, we're still so close, a lot of us, and we always talk. And Birchie, Rowley, Cookie, and Furs, you know, I speak to, and Kev. So we're real close, and, uh, and those moments stay with you for, for a long time. When you have a, a player here at Wickham who might say, I'm, I'm struggling on Saturday, Gaffer, I've got a tight hamstring or a, a sore calf, do you say, I tried to play on with a broken leg at Luton, <laughs> against Luton? Yeah, no, uh, not, not really, no. It was a one off one, you know, it was. Uh, I, I I know what I was and I was I, I made myself fitter and stronger and, and I probably had the, the worst left foot in, in professional football ever mate you know I was never a, never a technical player but I could get across in and I could mm. I had pace and, and strength and I would I, I, I made a career out of just being that that player that would give you everything heart and, and everything and I'm proud of that I'm proud of that I was probably more limited than some of the players that that were there you know Lee Cook was not Fabulous player, you know, and, and, and some of the players I've, I've played with, um, I mean, Kevin, I still rate as one of the greatest strikers I've ever played with. You played with him as well, and, you know, I think he's he, he, he's so, that injury killed him, you know, from being yeah. a, an absolute legend of English football. I think he was a fantastic player, Kevin Gallon. And, and I was this guy who, who would, they knew what they would get from me every week, you know, and, uh, and I remember that day I went up for a header, I came down, and uh, it was a, a real big game pivotal game in our uh, survival season under John Gregory uh, as usual I've gone up won the header against the centre half but he came down my leg came down under him and uh, I had the snap there and then as he landed on my and and I just thought I'm, I'm not I'm not going to let this stop me playing today because this is such a big game <laughs> and and uh, I remember Adam Baldy running over to me and saying, "Gaz, you've, you, you've gone white." He said, "You've got, to, you've got to go down." And I said, "I said, Baldy, my legs clicking." And he went, "Just sit down, will you?" He said, "So um, that was, uh, I think there was one, one chance to pass the ball. It came to me, and I just thought, I can't do this. It's not, you know, um, it wasn't a mate. It was not the tibia, you know. Obviously, I don't think anyone could play on that, but the fibula, it was a, it was a nasty one. But it, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was gutting because they had to come off. I still remember the story of going to the hospital, um, getting it x-rayed, getting a plaster cast on it, coming back to Loftus Road and arriving just as Paul Furlong, I think it was, he scored the winning goal and I heard, I heard the laugh go mental. I got in the stadium about two minutes to go and we won 3-2 and that almost secured us promote, uh, survival in, in the championship, which was immense. I played my part, but um, 
yeah, gutting to have to come off and miss that game. But, um, what, what a what a great what a great story. I haven't I haven't told many people to man up and get on with it because uh, <laughs> nowadays there's, uh, there's all sorts of things. But um, the uh, yeah, the, the willing's always there. It's just sometimes the body wasn't. When you're obviously now in the the manager's hot seat, and you, you played under a few managers at QPR, what I'm not saying which manager was better, etc. What aspects of management have you learned from the different managers? Oh yeah. I, Lots. I think you're a product of all your managers. Yeah. I'd really do, you know. And he's great in there, you know. He's, again, you're lucky enough to play on the play for Jerry. Yeah, yeah, Jerry. Yeah, Jerry. Yeah, Jerry is great. There's yeah. a lot, lot I would take from Jerry. Yeah. You know, George Graham. You'd take bits from him. Uh, Don Howe is a fantastic coach. You'd take little bits from him. You wouldn't take everything. I think you no. take a bit from. Then you filter it to what you want personally, yeah. don't you? Yeah, exactly. And and he's got it spot on that. I am in this role because of who I am yeah. and, and my personalities and mm. my but everyone you meet in life, never mind your manager, but everyone you know, moulds you into who you are and I think that um because I'm a football manager obviously you relate to football managers and, and Ollie had his, his his motivational skills and then meeting Ollie later after his Blackpool days and after his He's uh, his second QPR stint. I met him recently, and uh, he said if I'd have known some of the things that I know now, and 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 talking tactics to me even now, you know, so I'm still learning off people like that. Um, John Gregory, you know, it was, it was fantastic with me. Gary Roddick, even, you know, um, as a coach, I thought he was a fantastic coach and uh, and and manager. So, you know, all these people looking off Paolo Salisbury and Dowie, you know, coming through the door, and and Paolo, I remember bringing the word transition into training and mm. we'd never really heard it and, and me going on that um, obviously Luigi as well it was probably the reason I, I ended up being a manager you know with, that's how you with, first came into yeah. it because you could speak Spanish speak and you were helping with the Spanish, translation yeah, and you... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but uh, he, he used to talk to the boys in, in Italian we had a translator but it would get lost with the translator because yeah. um, the translator wasn't a football person so he would translate in, in, in just a normal voice and I knew that the lads needed more than that. They needed to feel the emotion of, yeah. of, of Luigi. And, and so I I'd, I'd, I took over a couple of training sessions and he told me in, in his, his Italian what to say and Italian Spanish very similar. So I would be able to translate to the boys a little bit. And, and at the end of that season, I remember, um, obviously, he went back to Italy and, and, uh, and it was a shock for everyone. Um, but he said to me, take, take your coaching licences. He said, uh, the boys respect you. He says, I've heard what you've been saying. You've got some good ideas. He said... Um, go, go for it have a go and, is that uh, when you first decided to look at management as a serious I, option I, I think so yeah I think that was uh, that was my first um, him saying that I think was because as a manager you go in and coach and you're quite blind you don't know if the lads are going to think this guy doesn't know what he's talking about so to have that to have that sort of assurance that from a coach who'd done it and, and done really well at QPR and, and done well in Italy he said, no, you've got some good ideas. The lads respect you. Those are the words you love to hear as a manager and think, you know what? I've got that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go for this. If I've got that, if I've got those two things, the lads respect me and he thinks I've got some good ideas, I'm going to give this a go. And that's when I started going down the coaching badge route with um, a few of the players. We did our B licence together and, uh, and then um, got on my A licence, but that sort of became a little bit... Um, disjointed with everything that went on at QPR the following season. I, I was chucked in twice as caretaker, which was a fantastic experience for me. Really wasn't ready at all. Um, hands up now. Did you feel that at the time or now looking back think? No, um, at the time. Never really thought. The, the club was in in a, in, a, 
it wasn't in a bad state, but it was in a transitional state. Transitional <laughs> is a great word. It wasn't even that. It was it was a bit all over the place. Yeah. It was behind the scenes, a little bit all over the place, and, and all sorts of rumours coming out that weren't helping. And and so to, to try and take the reins and go, right, this is me and I'm going to come out as the big man, manage you, do what I say, I thought would be the wrong thing to do. And um, it was hard because obviously you've got very close mates in that dressing yeah, room. Yeah, and that was so hard, really hard, you know. Martin Rollins was my roommate for five years, the next thing I'm telling him how to coach and yeah. I know what role he's like, he's going <laughs> to do on Gaz, you know. So, but um, it, it, was, it was tough, it was tough. It was almost steadying the ship and keeping the ship afloat rather than choosing a different direction and full steam ahead. That, it was more or less that. That's what I did. Um, we had some good results. Don't get me wrong, you know, the decision I made at home against Birmingham when Mikel was sent off, um, I still I still look back on and we, we were, I think we was nil now. We were playing top of the league. Mikel Ledger gets sent off. Mm. Um, all the world thinks we're going to lose this game. Snowing. And yeah, snowing. <laughs> and instead of going 4-4-1, I just felt we had... A chance, so I went four three two, and I always remember sticking with four three two. And the lads, some of the lads, looking at me, thinking, "Is that the right thing to do?" And I thought, "I'm going to do this." Um, lo and behold, Samuel De Carmine, who one of the ones I left on, scores. And believe me, I went four four one after that very quickly. <laughs> but, uh, but it was uh, it, that was a moment where I think, you know what, you did make that difference there, and, mm, and that yeah. was that that again just gave me a bit of confidence that one day I, I could do this management job. But not then, not that time. Um, plenty more football to play as, as I proved at Rangers and, and when I came to Wickham and, uh, and I think the right time was as I said earlier after that Torquay game that was my time to then go right Gareth you either step down from football and go and do something else or you become this football manager but you do it properly and and did it properly and, uh, and thankfully it's worked Absolutely and just talk us through the celebration from Gareth Ainsworth, the manager, when Deco Mean scored. Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad this was never caught on any camera, you know. Um, so everyone remembers Jurgen Klinsmann, right? And his famous, uh, his famous um, swan dives. I, I remember. Uh, it's listen. This is my first goal in, in professional football as a manager, and um, we'd got a draw at Reading the week before. I think in my first ever game, and that was that was great. I was well pleased. But I think that decision I made at half-time um, to stay in that formation, then De Carmine scored. I just emotion just ran over me, and I did a, I did actually a Klinsman dive onto the pitch <laughs> from the dugout, and nobody caught it <laughs> apart from um, <laughs> Alex McLeish looked at me and just shook his head. And this is in the middle of a game, and he was so good after the game. He he uh, he said in the office, he said, "We man." What was that all about? And I'm like, I'm sorry, Alex, I didn't mean that. It's my first ever goal. Uh, and he, he just laughed and took it in the in the spirit it was meant. Yeah. It was just so much relief. And I remember David Rouse, the goalkeeping coach, because he was uh, he was very close to me in them times. And he said, he said, Gaz, did you just do a Klinsman dive when we scored? I said, yeah, I think I did. <laughs> so, um, yeah, glad it wasn't caught on camera, but... Um, it was. Uh, it's never been repeated. I'll put it that way. I've not done anything since uh, of that of that manner. But um, it was. Uh, it was a great night. A real good night. And just uh, just a question on that that spell. You obviously <laughs> you were caretaker manager, coach, caretaker manager. You like you say you worked with Paolo Sosa, Luigi Di Canio, um, Ian Dowie as well. Um, and then Jim Magilton came in, and you, you moved on after that because you also had a year of not playing any football while all that was going on. But you were still a player. And then you went on to Wickham to play and to continue playing. So 
from that point of view, was that important for you to actually get back to what you were at that time? Definitely. I think, if I'm honest and being totally honest with you, I, the year out, I think might have done me some good. I think it made me hungry again to mm. think you are still a player. I and I remember reserve team coach. <clears throat> I kept myself fit. I joined in the sessions when I could. And I, was, I always remember saying to the gaffer Ian Dowry saying look if you need an extra body I'm in there I'm there I'm there and and him and uh, uh, and Tim Flowers used to stick me in and, and, and I loved it and I loved it and I think they knew I still loved it and I wasn't ready to give up I was in the gym every day every afternoon really keeping myself fit and I think I knew deep down that I wasn't ready to finish I really did you know and I thought I thought honestly my QPR days would come to an end I wasn't going to stay at that club all my life I was getting 36, 37 and I'm with championship you know it's, it's be tough to stay at that level um, and when uh, I think when when uh, Mick Harford took over as caretaker after Jim had, had, had uh, been relieved of his duties Mick came in um, and Gary Waddock ran me up and said look I'm, I'd love you to come and play for Wickham Wanderers and uh, that was one of the hardest decisions of my life you know that of, of leaving QPR that was uh, honestly that was one of the hardest decisions I've made in football I love that place I knew there was success around the corner for them, and, and it was. Neil Warnock got them up a couple of years later, the season after. I'd love to win part of that, but for Gareth Ainsworth, I had to keep playing, and and uh, and I signed for Wickham, and, and obviously that, that story tells itself. But yeah, one of the hardest decisions I made was leaving QPR. I love that place. And I choked up that, that day. I walked over to the loft and said <laughs> my goodbyes on that, that final day. Not many players get to do that. Mm. I got to do it at half-time, you know, and... Uh, Never forget that either. It was uh, it was an amazing moment, and uh, that club means the world to me. It really does, you know. And uh, and hopefully one day we can uh, we can be in the same division or or, or be in the top division together. Because uh, I love success for that club, and and um, I'm hoping I can manage as high as I can as well. Great stuff. Um, and just before we let you go, just to talk about some current QPR players, and a BRA Ezzy is someone that Andy Sinton has taken a shine to. Yeah, I was just going to ask Gaz about Aberi. That's why he's obviously got the link with the club. But Aberi, what did what did you see in him before he took him on loan? Yeah, uh, being totally, totally honest, um, I heard about him from Jack Williams. I took Jack Williams on yeah. loan, and he said to me, uh, "Gaffer, there's a player in the 23s that you've got to have a look at." Fair play to Jack. Um, not many would flag up a, a teammate and say, "Go and get him on loan as well," because mm. it's competition. But um, I, uh, so you did, you got him in. Marcus B went to watch him. I went to watch him. He scored a hat-trick in a game. <laughs> we got him in and he was everything and more that we could have imagined. And, you know, he, he, um, as, a, as a skillful player yourself, you'll know, you'll appreciate what, what he's got. You know, he's got this awareness of uh, and this touch on the ball. He makes, it, he makes it look like, I know it's a cliche when you say he looks like he's playing in the playground sometimes. He yeah. does. Yeah. He's incredibly talented and the game slows down to his pace when he gets the ball which is, again is a sign of a fantastic player I think you know he's doing ever so well for us now um, but I think coming here under your guidance was a was a huge part of his development all of a sudden he's he's at the 23 football he's playing for points he's playing yeah. in front of crowds he's playing where managers jobs might be on the line I think that was a big big part so the, the few months he um, he spent here under you I think was a massive part of his development and you obviously see him, you're keeping tabs on How pleased are you yeah. he's been able to, to come and play for you, do well for you, but actually then go on and start doing no, that no, First of all, I appreciate you saying that. You know, it's not, it's sometimes a, a task which is difficult, you know, and when they go on to bigger and better things, it's fantastic to see him flourish the way he has. Uh, we, we, we used to sit down in the clips on Tuesday afternoons and, and 
a couple of times I'd, I'd have a pop at him and say, look, that, that midfielder cannot get, he was, I remember one clip, he's, he's, he's goal side of his midfielder, we're attacking and he, he's, he's goal side um, and there's a breakaway, they counter attack on us and the midfielder he was marking, he's now 20 yards closer to our goal than he is and I'm saying, how can, how can he be there? How can he do you like that in a, in a 50 yard run abs? I said, you're quick, you're strong, you either don't want to do it or you don't know it's how important that is. And little things like that, I think, will real big moments in his, his career. Part thinking, of his development, yeah, isn't it? I've got every, and he had everything. And it, I think he just needs to, like you say, understand how important it was on a Saturday to, to play for points. And you mentioned earlier on you've got a really good dressing room here. Yeah. Um, suddenly, when he's playing with experienced players and that's happening, he'll get dug out by the experienced ones. Absolutely, so yeah. I mean, he, he maybe didn't have that in the 23. No. So, so coming and playing what I say, Proper football, yeah, I totally is agree. Huge for, for for kids like that. But as I say, I'm a big fan. It, he's doing ever so well. I think it's important that, and you probably back me up here that, you know, you, you keep the lid on his expectations. Yeah. He's a young boy. He's yeah. not going to be outstanding every single week, but he's he's got a bright future ahead of yeah, him. Yeah, without a doubt. We have a policy here with our young players that we try and preempt that little dip they have in the form, uh, and sometimes they will. They'll have a couple of games, and it can do more damage leaving them in. Yep. Than you know, than uh, than pulling them out and, and explaining why, and then sticking them back in when you think they're ready. We, I'm, I'm great. I'm blessed with Richard Dobson, who's, who's um, been through the youth academies, and, and Jordan Eve and Matty Phillips, and, and people like that came through this academy, and, and Courtney House, and, and he's uh, he, he was he was fantastic at timing wise. And Josh Scone, you know, at QPR playing, mm. and we, we times we had to pull these players out, give them a couple of games out, and they would think, well, I'm playing well, but we'd preempt this little dip, and then get them back in, and they're hungry. And they didn't even see it. They didn't even experience it. So it's great timing as well. But Andy's right. You know, the 23s, it's got its place. But unless these players are going to go into the Premier League and play 23s football, which is very similar to Premier League, but still a million miles away, Leagues 1 and Leagues 2, you can learn so much from. And uh, and I'm so proud of your likes of Alfie Mawson and, and Eberichi Easy and, and Matt Ingram, you know, who have come through this team and, uh, and gone on to much bigger and better things that they've deserved. Just before we get out of your hair, Gaz, mm -hmm. if you were to sum up the relationship you had with the QPR fans, how would you sum that up? Oh, yeah, um, reciprocal, mm. yeah, because they 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 gave me they gave me some grace periods when I when I'd make a mistake, knowing that I would give absolutely everything to make it up to them, and I knew when I was at my lowest ebb they would be there for me as well. So. I think we had a real good two-way thing going. Do you know what? I was lucky. I feel so lucky on that pitch sometimes because not only was I on Loftus Road, I was on Cooper and Andy will know what I'm talking about, but I was actually on the wing, close to the fans, in that corner. Our block, there's no place better to be when it's rocking. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. You were brilliant. And, uh, and like I say, I'll never forget my time there. And I'm so proud that when people say Gareth Ains is the footballer, I'm probably remembered most for QPR and... Uh, and that's fine with me. Brilliant. Gaz, thanks very much for, for Super, having yeah. us and for speaking with us. Really appreciate it. Um, we'll be back next week looking ahead to two championship fixtures in the space of three days. Stoke at the Bet365 Stadium on Saturday, and then it's Rotherham at the New York Stadium the following Tuesday. Thanks for listening to The Loftcast. Next up for QPR is the trip to the Bet365 Stadium to take on Stoke City. Tickets are available and on general sale. Contact the box office 08444 777 007.